Good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to the morning worship service here at Forest Heights Baptist Church. Let's all stand as we sing, Redeemed, Redeemed, How I Love to Proclaim It. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Christ and 
being able to uh, bring honor and glory to your name in all that we say and do. And I pray that we'll continue to do this. I know that uh, circumstances and situations have caused uh, things to be different. And, and Lord, we, uh, we understand that, but there's been some adjustment to it. We pray that things will gradually be getting back to the point where we can all meet together. But uh, uh, during this time, I pray that we will certainly make the most of all that you've allowed us to participate in and that we'll bring honor and glory to your name in, in all that we do throughout this service and throughout the week as we are able to serve you uh, in whatever capacity it might be. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
praise service this morning. Let's all stand as we sing in Christ alone. In Christ alone. see each and every one of you here today. I know that it's a day that the Lord has made and we're here to rejoice and be glad. Amen? Amen. Amen. So with that being said, I'd like for us to continue our study in Matthew in chapter 17 as we finish up the chapter. 
for you that were in Sunday school class this morning, it will go right along with the Sunday school lesson. And I know they did a wonderful job at it, so I won't have to go in deep detail with it and just uh, mention certain things about it relating to this passage and how it ties in. Okay, in Matthew chapter 17, beginning with verse 22. Now, this is the second time that Jesus mentions about going so clearly and directly going to the cross and telling the disciples. And he'll mention again in chapter 20, the third time, where he's just very direct in verses 17 through uh, uh, 19, I believe it is. He tells them again that he's going to Jerusalem to be uh, crucified, to suffer and die. So as we begin with the second one, Second time he mentions this, this clear prediction uh, in verse 22. And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. We can understand that. And when they had come to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma or drachma tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? And he said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax? from their sons or from strangers. Now, he's, he's getting this uh, clear in their minds. He, he's letting them know up front that he doesn't have to pay taxes. He's the one that created the temple. He's the one that gave the plans for the temple. It was for him that it was built so that they could worship the Lord. And so he's saying, you know, kings, are they crazy enough to have their children pay taxes back to the family no so he said they don't have to they're exempt and upon his saying from strangers peter said from strangers of course jesus said to him consequently the sons are exempt but lest we give them and here i'm wanting wanting us to focus on the last part of the message offense Unless we give them offense, go to the sea, throw in a hook, and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a stator. Take that and give it to them for you and me. Let's pray. Father, I just pray for your grace and its sufficiency. I pray that you work a work that will bring honor and glory to your name. That's all I ask. And I know that by doing that, that our lives will be touched in a very special way. The way that you want it to be touched. Thank you, God, for what you've done. And thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, the time's exciting. The time's intensified with the Lord. Jesus had, in chapter 16, has taken his disciples away from Galilee and Judea. And they were moving northwest, if you will, which 
was a mostly Gentile country or territory, region. And Jesus did this for a purpose. He took them away from where they were most likely recognized, and he also took them away where they would be most familiar with so that he could teach them some unique lessons that they needed to learn. For he was soon to be gone, personally, physically. But he would be with them spiritually, continue on, but they had to learn some things. And so he needed less distraction. We're like that a lot of times, aren't we? We need to move away from the familiar. We need to move away from you know, what is uh, kind of pulling us away or, or distracting us to the point where we can focus more on what we're studying or how God is speaking to us. And so uh, this was where, you know, uh, this was where Jesus asked the question, the famous question, who do people say that I am? And then he said, who do you say that I am? Who do you guys say that I am? And Peter, enlightened by God, said, you're the Christ, son of living God. He's, and that was a very important answer because that's the foundational words for the Christian faith. So important. And disciples needed to understand this. They need to understand that he was the Messiah. And to understand that his mission was not a physical takeover of Rome. It was a spiritual eternal victory. And that victory included going to Jerusalem and suffering and dying, which they could not comprehend real well. Because back in Jewish territory, they were reminded of what they were taught and how they were brought up. And this was not the teaching of the Messiah coming. That victory included dying for him and suffering. But it also included, and this is something that they're slow about, hearing you know you hear the first two things or you hear the first part of it a lot of times you know we listen to people and we hear what we want to hear don't we uh, or we hear what we are amazed at hearing and we don't listen to the whole story the whole concept the whole phrase and we don't hear the last part and we don't understand it the resurrection part and so during this time the three disciples peter James and John, they were also uh, taken by Jesus and, and were blessed by experiencing this wonderful transfiguration experience with two Old Testament prophets, I mean two Old Testament figures, Moses and, and Elijah, representing the Old Testament. It was a wonderful time, a glorious time, but he took only three and left the other nine down there. Now why did he do that? Well, this is a, a beautiful picture, principle, that he teaches over and over again that he's teaching with them, and that is discipleship. He's saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm letting you know this, and I want you to teach others, but not until after the resurrection. Why? After resurrection, well, he would also ascend back to heaven, but the Holy Spirit would come and enlighten them. They did not see this, but they would be enlightened with it and be able to understand as the Holy Spirit taught them. So the, this was the disciples, I mean the Lord's uh, discipleship method. And um, then after the transfiguration, they came down off the mountain. What had happened? Well, the nine had failed in casting out a demon out of this 
son of the fathers. And so they uh, had learned by the failure of the nine a very important lesson. And the point was not how to cast out demons. You know, you see these movies, okay, let's get the cross. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, come out of that person. You know, that, that's not it. I mean, what they, the, the point was, uh, faith is necessary for doing the Lord's work. The faith of a mustard seed. And so, uh, past success also does not guarantee future accomplishments. Just because they had some method down and just because they had gone out in obedience doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to happen. When these difficult times come, you better make sure that there's prayer and fasting that's been going on. A change in program or method may be needed, but until prayer and fasting reveals this, one should not just rely on human wisdom to accomplish divine progress and direction, mission, if you will. The disciples were, were rebuked for their littleness of faith, for their lack of, uh, and, and not for their lack of effort or creativity. It was just uh, because of their faith. So now we come to the next lesson for the disciples to learn. And this lesson is a lesson that Jesus would be exemplifying to them and has been exemplifying and especially will be at the cross. And then he does it by paying this tax. And that is a willingness to forfeit rights in order to avoid causing others to stumble. I think y'all talked about that in Sunday school this morning. So first of all, his, let's look a little bit more closely at his second direct mention of his destiny here and while they were gathering together in Galilee Jesus said to them son of man or the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him but he will be raised on the third day and they were deeply grieved Jesus and disciples were together in Jewish territory when he made this second formal prediction and uh, of his suffering, uh, of his death, but also of his resurrection. But three things are shared here that seem to be, uh, you know, added to uh, from the expression that was earlier given over in chapter 16, and that is uh, concerning his prediction of his death, and that is that he would be delivered. And the second thing is his title used here, Son of Man. wasn't used the first time. And then... Third, the disciples' response. They were deeply grieved. He would be delivered. Now, some believe that, that this involves being handed over, and I definitely believe this, uh, suggesting the betrayal of Ju uh, Judas. But that did not exclude, and we need to be very... Um, uh, we need to be very correct in the understanding here of Jesus' role. We need to understand, a lot of people think that they took Jesus' life and he unwillingly went to the cross. That is not the situation. It did not exclude the submissive role 
of the Son of Man. Jesus was neither helpless nor passive in going to the cross because in Luke 9:51 it says, For he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. He decided to go to Jerusalem. No man was forcing him, pushing him that way. He decided to go. He went to the cross for our sins. He didn't go kicking and screaming and hollering. He went willfully. We're later, later told that Jesus willingly accepted the cross in order that all things are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. They will be accomplished in Matthew 18.31. He willingly laid down his life. That's our loving Savior. He willingly gave all. He who knew no sin became sin for us because he loved us. He willingly did that. And so this meant that no one could have taken it from him without his consent. In John chapter 10, verses 15 and 17, it, it deals with the same thing. So for the first time, he uses the title Son of Man. And that's clarifying. He's, he's letting them know with the title that the suffering aspect of the Son of Man, the Messiah. That he wasn't going to be some ruler that would come in and overrun and overtake Rome. That he would go willingly to the cross. And he would suffer. It speaks of the redemptive work on the cross. Finally, disciples seem to accept the stark reality of this impending uh, event in Jerusalem that was to occur. But they still don't seem to uh, understand everything about it. They don't try to uh, dissuade Jesus from going here, but they're, grief, uh, they're deeply grieved, it says. And this feeling as I said earlier, is understandable. I mean, we would be too. Here was a person that was training them, discipling them, that they loved greatly. Here was their Messiah. But it also implies that they had not began to grasp fully the reality of the resurrection. They didn't know it all. We're this side of the cross. We, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We know it. We got the Word of God. They didn't have all that. They had the Old Testament, didn't they? They didn't even have the Holy Spirit indwelling them at that time. We, we see that at the day of Pentecost. So their hopes were deeply ingrained in their Jewish hearts. And this is one of the reasons why Jesus had earlier taken them away from this ingraining part to teach them. And they also feared the repercussion of, of such persecution upon them as followers of Jesus. So they overlooked the strong note, though, in doing this, the note of Jesus' resurrection. Matthew's gospel has Jesus moving in, uh, you know, the direction of Jerusalem and the cross and, and the tragic moment we see is building bit by bit, bit and situation by situation. So let's go to the last point, the lesson of forfeiting rights. In Matthew 17, 24 through 27, it says, And when they had come to uh, Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma, or drachma tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? And he said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him, 
First thing, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax from their sons or strangers? Well, strangers, of course. Jesus said to them, consequently, the sons are exempt. In other words, not only really am I exempt, but as you come into the family of God, as you're believing now, you're exempt. But lest we give them offense, go to the sea, throw in a hook, take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a stator. Take that and give it to them for you and for me. You see, the two drachma tax was a government-approved tax from Rome, uh, but it was... It had been practiced by the Jews, but they allowed them to continue to practice it and to receive it. And it was for, it began, uh, you know, in the Old Testament with the uh, Ten of Meetings. And then it moved later to uh, the, the temple for uh, paying off the temple. It was proved and it was implemented by the, the Jews to begin with. And it later was proved by Rome. They couldn't have done it without Rome allowing them to do it. And the half shekel was uh, paid, it amounted to this two drachma. It was paid uh, in regard as given to God uh, as they uh, were taking care of the temple. And so uh, we, we see that it was probably, uh, some people say, it amounted to about two days wages of the average worker. So the Jewish temple tax was to be paid by the time of the Passover. This meant that the collectors, Jewish collectors, they were sent out as early as a month prior to this to start collecting this tax. And this tax, uh, these tax collectors, uh, you know, their purpose may have been a twofold or, or morefold than that, but at least twofold. It, it could have been, they could have been sent to Jesus uh, on the issue of paying taxes because they said, okay, he's claiming to be Messiah, uh, then uh, he might consider himself exempt. And if he considers himself exempt, then we can really nail him there, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, and then it, it could have been just a simple answer. But we know that probably it included uh, the first part of it in their motives. And so... Uh, we see that they, uh, they came to Peter, though. Why didn't they go to Jesus? Well, there's a lot of different uh, thought about that. You know, uh, one thing for sure that we do know that he had outwitted them, he had embarrassed them at times, and he had rebuked them at times. And so they may have just wanted to deal with Peter or just dealing with Peter because they saw him and they saw that he had been the leader of the group. We don't know. But for whatever reason. There was a lesson in this that he wanted the disciples to learn. And that was, Peter's reply was yes. And for whatever reason it was yes, whether he'd seen Jesus pay it before or whether he believed that Jesus would pay it, we know that his response was in support of paying the tax. wasn't against it. I mean, that's what had been going on. That's what he had been taught. Now, Jesus' response we see that Jesus knew what Peter had said. He knew what had happened. He knew the reply that he had given him. And he knew what was going on in Peter's mind as he entered the house. Now, maybe Peter was wondering why Jesus the Messiah was going to have to pay this. 
Or maybe he just didn't understand the situation fully. This was a perfect time, though, whatever the case, to teach him a lesson by asking a rhetorical question. And that is, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax? From their own sons or from strangers? For one thing, Jesus was reaffirming to Peter the teaching that had been revealed to him earlier that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, uh, you know, that in other words, Peter, I am the Son of God. And since I am the Son of God, I am exempt. And if you're going to be children of the Son of God, then you're exempt. But, so that we won't offend them, go out to the fish, throw it out there, catch it. He didn't say... Throw it out there numerous times. He said, just catch one. Bring it in. There's money. I can't even bring in one. Much less bring in one with money. But, you know, anyway. Uh, we, we see uh, that, you know, that he wasn't going against what they had been taught earlier. Jesus was trying to teach the disciples something very important. And something that the church, as y'all were taught uh, earlier in Sunday school class, needs to learn and practice, and especially during this day and time. It's something that Satan often uses to divide and defeat the church, to offend unbelievers also, keep them from Christ. And that is... There needs to be a willingness to forfeit rights in order to avoid causing others to stumble. The central message of the passage is that the children of the king are no longer under the old covenant, the temple tax, but the new covenant, Jesus Christ, salvation through him, freedom in Christ, Modern believers are free from certain Old Testament obligations. But listen very carefully. We still have a responsibility to the king to live without sacrificing godly character. In this way, we live at peace with one another. Romans 12, 18. Satan does not want that because a house divided will fall, won't it? And he's wanting us to fall. It also causes others to see this and say they can't even get along together. Why should I want to be a part of that? While sonship has its advantages, if you're born again, then you are a son of God. They are to be sacrificed to bring others to Christ and to bring unity to the body of Christ. Jesus was teaching disciples that God's royal children are free from the old covenant obligation that have been nullified by the new covenant. But in order 
not to offend, and that literally means causing one to stumble, Jesus gave up the privilege for a higher value. And we need to learn that, don't we? We need to practice it. I need to. We all need to. Jesus' payment of the unnecessary tax by supernatural means also highlighted not only his humility in giving up his right, but also his deity in being able to perform that. So here he's saying, hey, if I'm the Son of God, not just the Son of Man, but the Son of God, and I do this, should not you? So the king did not have to pay the tax, but he sought to avoid causing offense to others. And that's hard to do a lot of times. This is an important lesson that many have either not been taught And I believe that they've not been taught this. Many have not. You were taught it this morning, I know, from Romans. Or refuse to practice it. One of the two. You've either not been taught it or you refuse to practice it. In Romans chapters 12 through 15, it talks about this, doesn't it? In different categories, different areas. Paul addresses this principle. You see, the church walks a tightrope type of liberty. By that I mean we're faced with two extremes, basically, if you want to boil it down to this, legalism and license. Legalism places us under a strict, narrow set of rules and regulations, and a lot of that is man-made. We've just made it up, you know. And we see that the other license, if left uncontrolled, urges us towards a bondage within itself. And that is a bondage of self-centeredness and an immoral type of life. The answer is simple. Humility. Maturity. Avoiding the two extremes. Romans 14, 13 exhorts us not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. First, Paul exhorts believers in this passage not to judge others, but learn to assess others. Second, he calls on the believer when exercising his freedom to do so with the brother's welfare in mind. That requires a balance between self-control and love for others. The context counsels us to focus on how the stronger Christians ought to treat weaker Christians, really. Now, who are the weaker Christians? The weaker believers. Some may be new converts. And then some may be just weaker in faith. Not necessarily weak in the basic Christian faith, but weak in assurance that their faith permits such things. In other words, should I do it or should I not? So 
it, it, you know, there's, there's a, a, a range there. They may be open for growth, but still spiritually immature. Then there are the, the legalists. These are the spiritual babes who stubbornly refuse to mature in Christian liberty. This, this type of believer has been challenged in the book of Galatians. But our motive should be for unity and the love of others. The key to a balanced Christian life lies neither in legalism that destroys freedom nor license that abuses freedom. I'm afraid the latter is being taught and practiced a lot today instead of the legalism. And then when legalism principles are taught may creep up, then there is a disunity there, a lack of unity. When a Christian engages in a practice before other Christians who perceive it as wrong, even though it may not be, he is running the risk of seriously hurting their walk with God. Because of this, believers should limit the expressions of their liberty out of love for the weaker brother. Now, I'm going to share an illustration I got permission to. But I want to tell you, one of the illustrations that bless my heart as I've seen this person grow in the Lord is when he allows marks, tattoos, whatever on his arm I'm not talking about hula skirt dancing girls or anything like that. I'm talking about a cross. Okay? A cross. When he, instead of wanting disunity to rule or causing problems, for something like that, wear long sleeves or a coat to cover it up. So another person won't stumble. Legalists. Now people, that's the kind of action we're to have. That's the kind of way we should go. Because of this, believers should limit the expression of their liberty out of love for that weaker brother. And that weaker brother is shown in the way that they act. It is demonstrating to others that fellow believers and their growth in Christ is more important to them than the full exercise of their freedom in Christ. I don't always do that. I, I've not always done that. And I know that this person that did it this time had matured, but that's the way they fell. And I praise God for that person. Also, if we're uh, uh, doing something that we shouldn't be doing, we, we need to ask ourselves, are we promoting the righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit that Paul talks about in verse 17? Then if we're not, then we should refrain from performing them around those believers. We should pursue, Paul says, the things which make peace and the building up of one another. And in, in Romans 14, 20, he says, Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of 
and you can put a blank there. There it was food, but you can put anything in there. All things indeed are clean. See, he says, no problem. But they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. If you're going to do it, then you're sinning because you're causing your brother to stumble if you made an issue out of it. It's as simple as that. Because of the freedom that we have in Christ, some things might be fine, but if they cause disunity, then we should, reckon, we could, we should reconsider doing them. We should keep our right from becoming a stumbling block to those who are left, less mature in the faith or to those who are legalists, immature in the faith. Love commands that we limit our liberty when necessary for the sake of others. This is one of the main lessons that, that Jesus is teaching here. The problem did not lie in the fact that there were differences of opinion with, with Paul or, or here or wherever over non-essential subjects. And I say non-essential subjects. The ability to disagree or to agree is fine in human relations, but one thing is necessary for the gift of unity to continue, and that is to spring up, and that is a focus on a higher purpose, which is God and His kingdom. And I'm afraid when we get into this unity, the focus is not on a higher being. It is not there. So the problem was the attitudes and actions of those who held the opposing Opinions that threatened the church's unity. The higher purpose had shifted from honoring and glorifying God and His kingdom to honoring and glorifying themselves. That's basically what it was. Well, I'll just do it. And when this happens, neither side is exercising authentic love towards the other, and especially towards God. The strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please themselves, let each believer please his neighbor for his good to his edification in Romans chapter 15, 1 and 2. Rather than being self-centered, God, he was going to the cross for us. He didn't have to go. He didn't have to pay taxes. He was teaching them a lesson of what was about to occur. And what to practice as believers. God exhorts other believers to be other-centered. One of the difficult ministries, and I say difficult ministries of a pastor, is to have to take care of things like that. And unfortunately, when disunity starts occurring, then you must be firm sometimes. Loving, but firm. Why? Because this is God's people, God's house, and you get sick and tired of seeing disunity disrupted. Amen? And so you must do something about it. And unfortunately, it means firmness sometimes. When congregations lose sight of the mission that God has called them to, they become inwardly focused on who is right and who is wrong. And most of it's not to deal with doctrine. They just disagree on things 
of preferences. Love should be our motivation and unity our mission and glorifying God as our ultimate goal. How do we do that? Well, we've got to be, learn to be considerate before others. We've, le- we've got to learn to be concerned for the unity rather than disunity over non-essential matters. And we better learn to be cleansed, humbling ourselves and realizing that when we make a mistake, we make a mistake and we ask for forgiveness and we let other people know. How many in here ever read the cartoon Peanuts? Okay, you like that? Once Charlie Brown, one of the cartoons, had him sprawled out on the ground looking at TV. Guess who comes in? Lucy. Guess what happens? She demands the channel to be changed. Charlie Brown asked meekly, what gives you the right to change the channel? Lucy responds, these five fingers right up against his nose. Next, you see Charlie Brown leaving the room. The channel changed. And while leaving the room, he's holding up his, op- his hand openly and saying to his fingers, why can't you guys get organized like that? There is power in unity in there, and especially in the right kind of unity. That is characterized by righteousness, peace, joy, love, clear conscience, and a focus on God and his kingdom, his mission, his purpose. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as I look at that passage as I heard it taught in Sunday school and as I so uh, as they did it so professionally and, and so well led by you, controlled by you humbly teaching it also admitting that it's difficult Lord I find it very difficult at times especially as a pastor So I just pray that we'll just keep moving together and Lord that we will just, I thank you for how this church is moving together and even in in a time of separateness in the sense of us not being able to, to meet together like we would like to. I thank you that people are, are just, uh, wanting to get back to worship you and glorify you. And I pray that that will be our goal and our purpose and that we will not let anything interfere in the direction that we're headed in. And that direction, Lord, is to glorify you, keep going for you, honoring you in all that we say and do and wanting to do your will and not our will. Help us be humble Christians, loving Christians, and Lord, help us to move forward always thinking of you first and others also. 
and putting ourselves last. Thank you, God, for all that you've done. Help us to continue on that, in that direction, moving in that direction, and help us to uh, just be filled by your Spirit and, and see you work in a mighty ways in the days ahead. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If anyone would like to come and kneel at the altar as we stand, anyone like to just uh, uh, testify, whatever it might be, you come today as God touches you. Shackled by a heavy burden, leave a load of guilt and shame. Let the hand of Jesus touch me, and now I am no to be shared before we leave. Wednesday, we've lost our secretary. And, uh, yeah, temporary. She's having surgery. Okay. Thank you, Daniel. Daniel's done a good job in keeping us all posted and everything, and I just appreciate him so much. Okay, anybody else? And these two guys back here, I really appreciate them, too. They have continued on and done this recording and everything. Amen. 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 And it's good to see you guys. It really is. And we're gradually moving back in, and, and so y'all just continue to pray. Okay. Nothing else? And pr I appreciate this guy, too, for continuing to lead the music and the y'all playing. And goodness gracious, I just appreciate all of you. Okay, let's leave. and. Let's go away rejoicing, Lord. Let the Lord.